Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Achtung, achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. And oh, you know that we we have talked a lot about this subject, but there's there's always some more, isn't there, Jim? There's <laughs> yeah. always some more. There certainly I mean, is. In lots of ways, this subject is sort of like mayonnaise and the We Have Ways of Making You Talk sandwich. It makes everything that little bit more delicious. So, well, it's, it's this one market <laughs> garden, D-Day, Normandy, I mean, yeah. and the Battle yeah. of Britain. You can and never, the Battle you can of Britain. Never so, you can never get bored of it. Never. Never. So who are we talking to? Who are we talking to today then, James? <laughs> well, it's a pretty special guest, actually. Um, so you and I have just seen a, a, a brand new two-part yeah. series, which is going out on Channel 4, called Guy Martin's Battle of Britain. And I'm not going to lie, when when um, James Woodruff, the uh, um, uh, the DP, produ director, producer, um, first contacted me about this one, I, you know, my heart sank a little bit. I thought it was <laughs> 
freaking brilliant. I loved the series. I really thought it was fantastic. Anyway, the star of the show is here. Guy Martin himself yeah. is in the studio. Now, Welcome, my, Guy. Now, boy, how's it going? All right. Very good, yeah. I think Jim was nervous about your show because he's this is he regards the Battle of Britain as his patch. Oh bloody hell right. Did it did we do it justly? Wait, to be honest, it's not really up to me doing it justice. I didn't do the flame the plane flying justice. It's James bolting it all together. This man here, this man here bolting it together to make sense of my ramblings. But anyway, I reckon you you yeah. did you did a fair job as far as I've been told. We we cleaned up the mess. Uh, yeah, just confusingly this is the other James, this is James Woodroff who um produced and directed the programme rather than James Holland, who is your end? Yeah, well, James, James, actually, just just as I should say that James, when you first got first got this commission or first thinking about it, you very very sweetly came down here and um, and took me off to my favourite local pub and kind of you know warmed me up with with warm beer and and ham egg and chips and we and we talked about it, didn't we? And you said I'm kind of inching towards a hurricane rather than a Spitfire. Oh, well, you know, obviously hurricane rather than Spitfire might one, obviously. Yeah, I mean, way to go. as Al has alluded to, almost the very last thing the world needed was another, another television programme about the Battle of Britain. So, um, I didn't mean it like that. It's exactly what you meant. So you do, but it's, it's, it's something that weighs on us and you do have to find a way of telling the story afresh. And luckily, having somebody like Guy means, you know, he's our very own action man with eagle eyes and we can put him in the seat and he can tell us what it's like. So hopefully it brings it to life. But it's nice to go and see Mr. Holland behind the scenes just to make sure we set off on the right foot. And, uh... So, James, for, for the uninitiated, for I mean, I, I, I think if Guy Martin's Battle of Britain, I think anyone familiar with your work, Guy, they might have, a, they might have a, an inkling of an idea what the programme might be. For those who don't know, what is the programme? What's, you know, what's the pitch? Do me the elevator pitch. For, for Guy Martin's Battle of Britain. Well, can they make sense of me? Can they turn me into um, a Battle of Britain pilot using the similar sort of idea and the amount of training that the boys back in the day did? So that was that was it, really, and I don't know what the conclusion was. Well, I think the conclusion was that, um, no, you wouldn't make sense. I wouldn't make sense. I'm in a bit of a pig's ear on it, really. But we got fairly on. We, you know, we, did the, we started off with the Tiger Moth. I mean, what would that be? About a year ago? now. would it be last June, was it? it was in between the two lockdowns, really, wasn't it? it? Was we got last, started. Last summer, we kicked it off. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We got going with the Tiger Moth, with Anna. She's some bird. She is, boy. Bloody hell, man. She knows. She Yeah. She this knows. Is, she this is some... Anna Walker, guy's instructor. Yeah, really she's some bird. So, yeah, we went up with a Tiger Moth to start with. <laughs> <laughs> Where did we do that? We did, that was inside the M25 somewhere, wasn't it? End of the M11 there. 30 seconds of taking off, you could see the city of London. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, we, yeah, and we ended up in um, Big and Ill, didn't we? With a, yeah, with a two-seater um, hurricane. But yeah, yeah, we started off with the Tiger Moth, and then we sort of advanced a bit to the harbour. But probably, what did we have? We had a couple of hours in the Tiger Moth. Exactly. And right. we got in the harbour, and I sort of, to be honest, I sort of got the gist sort of easy enough, really. I mean, Anna was great. Because she sort of had a fair trust in me that yeah she sort of let me have the controls and I got just allow allow me to get the feel for it so we did that um, and this was sort of over the space of what sort of eight or nine months wasn't it really back it end of last year which is pretty much what it would have been back in the day you know nine months to from 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 raw recruit to getting your wings. Something like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, to, to getting in um, a hurricane. Yeah, yeah, well, what do we have? We might have had an hour or two in a tiger moth, and then we had probably an hour or so in a Harvard, and then that was it, really. Yeah, get in there. And I, to, to be honest, but yeah, and to be honest, it was sort of because I'm not the sharpest tool in the box, but I've got a fair mechanical feel to me because I've all, you know, because I'm just a bloody 
a fitter, really, just a bit of mechanical. So you, you know, you've got mechanical feel. So that got me to a fair point, fairly easy with the uh, with the Arvid and the um, the Tiger Moth. But then, yeah, talk about in at the deep end with a with a bloody hurricane, with a two-seater hurricane down at Biggin Hill. My God, with the weather, didn't we? And then the tension was building up all there. We couldn't get out because of the weather. Then we ended up getting out at the 11th hour before the sunset, didn't it? Flying over the bloody shard. It's the, 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 the weird a... way that TV works. Obviously, <laughs> unlike yeah. the MOD, we have we do not have unlimited resources, so we're on the clock. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. rightly so, won't it? It's a two-seater bloody hurricane, only one in the world. If you're turning, you're burning, <laughs> so it's kind of like, right, this is going to end up being about 45 minutes in this two-seater hurricane guy, and then you turn up on the day, and it's lashing it down, and when's the weather going to change, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, Caribbean weather descended upon us. It did, us. didn't it? it, it like, and it changed. genuinely was like a scramble, scramble, scramble moment. It's got, we've got an hour weather window. Go, go, go. Uh, yeah, as much tension as you could possibly have in that kind of fictional scenario. Guy, have you flown before? Was this was the Tiger Moth the first time you'd ever not had a, control of an aeroplane? Not a bloody clue, man. What about, how, how, how am Christ. I going to fly a plane? What do you think I am? I've got my bloody van, mate. I've got my van. I've got bloody private planes about me, mate. No, no, no. I was just... Uh, uh, to, to, be, to be honest, we've done some... Now, go on. We was flying... His name was Guy as well. He was a BA pilot that was a right good stunt glider pilot. I flew with him in his glider. I have a mate who's got a, mi- a, yeah. a micro light. I've been up with him before, and he's like, you know, sort of... You have control, but you don't really. Let's be honest, you don't really. Yeah. You don't really. And then I went up with this guy, the BA pilot. He was some boy in that. Jesus Christ! I felt as sick as a pig after that. We <laughs> was pulling some G in this bloody glider. in this bloody glider. You remember that? I, I remember. I was in my bloody Astrovan, my Astrovan at the time, and I'm taking some rubbish somewhere. When before I, when I'd left work or something, and my van stunk a bloody rubbish. And I remember I felt as sick as a pig getting me in my van that stunk a shite. I felt it all the way home. I felt it all the way home, man. Jesus Christ! I'll never forget that. That was years ago, that wasn't it? So what yeah, was we doing ex- that for? An extensive aviation background. Yeah, as you can see, <laughs> as you can see. Not to, to, to be honest, boy. Not not a bloody clue. So yeah, gets chucked in the in the tiger moth. Um, yeah, to be honest, and then Anna just sort of left us to it. You know, you, you, you boys, you'd get the gist. Left goes left, right goes right. Push it forward, it goes down. Pull it back, it goes up. Quite simple, really. And then it's just getting used to the wing stall and a predictable wing stall and how that works. But when you can understand the physics behind why the plane drops out of the sky, when you go, um, when you when you haven't got the air passing over the wing, when you understand that, it's sort of fairly easy. It's sort of fairly easy. Oh, well, well, I, I'm reassured that I'd be able to do this as well. <laughs> you would, you would, you would. <laughs> um, and so, um, what what was it you? Um, what was your main takeaway from doing? Apart from that, you know, that that the getting to grips with flying. Requires like a mechanical sense. You've got to understand the principles and all that sort of thing. What was your main takeaway from um, from this experience, Guy? Well, I mean, there was a load of things, really. It's not bloody easy, the main one. But yeah, yeah, from afar, really. Well, I'm not from afar. You know, from, if you're looking, you just think, Aria, Flash Aries, you know, all of the gear, you know, just bloody... But it's far from that. You know, them boys was bloody talented, right? The feel that they had to have to be able to get the most out of those aircraft was phenomenal, right? And they're doing all of that while being shot at. Now, hang on. I had enough pressure on me just flying about. Really, it was for TV. We was mucking about, really, right? And I found it bloody hard. I wasn't being shot at. Now, those boys, now we're talking there, eh? Hey, hey, all of that. All of that, boy. Absolutely. Um, uh, uh, and because, I mean, one of the things I think uh, uh, people don't know is that is that the training, I mean, Jim, Jim, you've talked about this a lot in your books, that the, the training was this thing where they'd gradually get them to the point where they would be able to f- fly in, in a frontline fighter, that they, they'd, you know, they'd, they'd do the basics, then they'd convert to the, to, the, um, to the Spitfire or the Hurricane, but be kept away from 
where the action was so they could just get used used to things. That's right, isn't it, Jim? Yeah, so what you'd do is, you, you know, once you got your wings, then you'd go off to an operational training unit and, and that's where you'd go on to type. So obviously what, what Guy was doing in his series was building up, you know, going through the processes. He wasn't quite having to do the square bashing, but it's that whole process of going through... Learning on on the Tiger Moth start, you know, to start off with doing your first solo, you know, bumps and circuits and all that kind of stuff. Then building up on on, on getting your kind of your basic understanding of how to be a pilot. And then you do your secondary, which is where you're upgrading onto something like the Harvard, just as Guy was doing. And and there you're also, I mean, I I don't think you did night flying, did you? But, but, you know, they would do night flying training as well. And, you know, cross country. um, So you're doing navigation, all the rest of it. So by the end of it, you're pretty competent in your in your plane you've got 150 hours something like that which obviously guy you can get get close to that but but you know so they've got a decent amount then you go to your operational training unit and that's where you get bumped up onto you know either a spitfire or hurricane um and obviously guy you went off to to do your your two-seater with uh, hurricane with peter monk and co down at biggin that was being cut in in august 1940 the second half of august 1940 that they were starting to cut that from kind of you know a month to six weeks down to kind of you know a fortnight and and that's when you know that's just not enough because you're still thinking about you know where am I going what am I doing oh shit I've been shot um, and I'm I'm now in flames and I'm jumping out of the plane and you know that that's that's no good to anybody it's not good to the pilot it's a complete waste of a plane it's a complete waste of absolutely everything you know what they then brought in was this thing called um, the squadron classification um, where you you would classify a squadron as A B or C so an A squadron is is completely 100% experienced pilots. A B is kind of 50-50, and a C has got three or four experienced pilots, and the rest of them are all greenhorns straight out of their operational training units. And that might typically be up in Drem in Edinburgh, or you know, Wales, or Acklington in Northumberland, or something like that, where occasionally a lone Junkers might come across from Stavangar in Norway or something, you can all take a pot shot on it. But it's an opportunity to kind of build up your hours. Because, I mean, you will appreciate this guy, but obviously... By the time you go into combat, you don't want to be thinking about flying. You want to be thinking about being a fighter pilot uh, and and shooting other down other planes and making sure you don't get shot down yourself. If you're still sort of thinking, oh, you know, hang on a minute, where's the, you know, where's the trim? You know, have I got the undercarriage up? You know, hang on a minute, is it time to put in boost and all this kind of stuff? It, you're, you're dead meat, aren't you? You've got Eddie. I tell you what, another bloody interesting thing. While we was making that program, what was bloody interesting was, you know, however many. Messerschmitts were constructed during the Second World War, right? One in three of those was lost through takeoff and landing incidents, right? Yeah, so correct. before they'd even yeah. got into battle. And that just blew my mind, that. And, 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 and what I just love the Germanness about it all, right? That, that plane was bloody hard, <laughs> right? Just, just, it was bloody hard in every sense. For, for me, right? For me, just, just from the mechanical side of things, especially the Daimler 603X, the engine that was in that. I don't know if you know the boys know much about that. Just the evolution that that went through, the direct injection, the later version of the Desmodronic valve was just a mind-blowing piece of engineering, right? Right. But that, that was just the engine. And then, and then the, the, the airframe of the thing, right? It was built in such a way that they could transport it on the back of trains to get it from airfield to airfield in an easy way so, so that meant having the wheels really close together under the undercarriage right which made it a pig of a thing to handle on the ground and to, and, and, and you know to, to take off and to land and that was the reason that most of the you know that a third of the planes constructed were, 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 were totaled in takeoff and landing incidents right but the Germans said no 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 it's built that way so we can take it to bits and transport it on planes easy you know that, that was the price to pay that was it no it's not it's not it's, you just get on and deal with it boys we're not going to try and make it more user friendly no 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 because that's not an efficient this is an efficient way to build a plane it bloody blew my mind just very German I love that I just love it I love it love it yeah <laughs> it'd be fair to say that if Guy ever went missing um, he'd be found underneath 
the Messerschmitt or Bouchon as it was. And go, now where is he? Guess where? Yeah. He's, he's there trying to do an oil change on... Let's be honest. The, 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 um, the Messerschmitt that we flew against are great, but I don't think there is one in the world at this point in time. They had one down at Big Hill, but the engine was in bits through a lack of oil pressure. Yeah. There isn't, I don't think, as far as I know, there isn't a flying Messerschmitt in the world. They're all Bujons, which was the Spanish version that was all sent there after the Second World War to Franco and his, yeah. to Franco and his boys. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, there was just which world's a Messerschmitt with a Merlin in it. Because because yeah. the, 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 the Daimler 603, which is the engine that was in the later of the, 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 um, the Messerschmitts, was just a right unreliable thing. But for me, I thought it found it fascinating that it was yeah such a, an engineering masterpiece, really. You know, everyone well, raves about well, Rolls-Royce, and I love them. You know, I love the Rolls-Royce. I love them, I love them, but it's not a, it's not a Daimler 603, because that was well, just well, pushing well, so the boundaries. What, so what is the, what's, the, the, what's the difference? Because, I mean, you know, you're bordering on heresy there, like dissing the Merlin. With, in, in, hey, in hey, hey, I can comment by I owned a bugger. I've just sold one to buy a valve seat cutting machine. I have. I've just, I sold, <laughs> and I've sold, yeah, I've sold, but I'm not going to tell you about I sold it to like a bloody a bit of a hero of mine, right? I sold it. To, I sold it to him, um, so I can buy a valve seat cutting machine. Because I'm, I'm always that's the only job I have to subcontract out. He's, he's making valve seats. Um, so I've, I've got one. Of the, so yes, yes, yes. An amazing piece of engineering, the Rolls Royce Merlin, and that was probably like you say the backbone of the 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 the, the, the RAF really. You know, the, the, you know, the ended up in the bloody Mustang that made the Mustang an amazing plane. You know, the yeah, yeah. The, the, the Lancaster, the Mosquito, like probably the, the greatest plane in the Second World War, the, the, the Mosquito. I don't know, yeah. James would be better to comment on that. You know, just, <laughs> just what an amazing, you know, the, the backbone. But really, right, really, it was just old school engineering in a way. It was nice that it was four valves per cylinder, it was over a cam, yeah, 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 but it wasn't a bloody Daimler 603X, man. Jesus Christ, direct fuel injection, late one Desmondronic valve just blew my mind. Blew my mind. <laughs> and that, that's, that's the thing that was so bloody complicated. And you know the reason, you know the reason why it was an inverted V12? Right. Did you know it was an upside down V12? Right. Yeah. yeah. There was some German, this was like pre Second World War, there was a German over um, at Rolls Royce and they had a wooden model of a Rolls Royce um, V12 upside down and the German just sort of took that away and thought, well, what are they doing with an upside down? Anyway, that was the main reason it was an upside down V12 because they'd seen a wooden model before, um, before the Second World War and took that idea over. But then the, the reason that they used. Um, or justified having an inverted V12 because to, to, to invert a V12 is just a massive job. You ought to see what they did to the crankcase and the and the the the, the 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 big end bearing system to be able to get around running an inverted V12. It was just an, an amazing thing. But what they said. So what oh, does? But hold on, but go, but go. What what does? I mean, what does have to be done to make that inverted? I mean, what well, do you have to do to the big well, end? Well, because. Um, an inverted V12, you know, the, the oil naturally wants to go to the ground, right? So, so yeah, obviously yeah. it's going to get past the piston rings, it's just going to burn loads of oil, right? So they, right. they couldn't stay in the, uh, using a conventional crankshaft arrangement, like a, a pressure-fed plane bearing system, right? Which is how all modern engines as we know, I mean, reciprocating internal right. combustion engines, that's how they all tend to, well, you've got a pressurised crankshaft which feeds the shell bearings, which stops the contact between the shell bearing and the crankshaft journal, right? But in an inverted V12, or that needs loads of oil to be able to run that system. So in an inverted V12, you can't really get away with that because you need loads of oil. So what they did, they had a roller bearing, like a two-stroke, right? They had a roller bearing big end system that could work on a splash V, so it needed a lot less oil in there, right? But the right. way that they, it was still a one-piece crankshaft, not like a two-stroke, where a two-stroke, like a sort of, a, a parts of a crank all pressed together with crank pins. This was, um, a one-piece crankshaft with like a finger arrangement between the, the the roller bearings was in a cage and the the, the cage was used like a broaching system to to make it right. Th you'd have to see it with your. It just it blows my mind. It was like the because the, they'd seen what they was doing and like there was, this was only like ten years ago. A Formula One. <laughs> They was trying to replicate how they made that bearing system. Um, it's something to do with Formula One. I've read, I've read it in this magazine, um, and, and they couldn't replicate that now. How they broached the the the, wow. the, 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 the bearing cage to, to it was just yeah 
yeah, I, I get excited about things like that. But, 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 why, so why, but why, what's the advantage of inverting it? What's the point? Well, the, the, the reason that they said was so the engine could sit lower, so the pilot could sit lower, the centre of gravity was lower, and he was, his view oh. wasn't obscured by the rocker yeah. boxes sticking out of the, the flight, co- the, 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 the cowlings. That was the reason, yeah. which is great, which is great, but it's not, yeah, it's not a reality. It's not reality because it's just a pain in the ass. The price to pay for that is having this massively complicated engine, which wasn't very reliable. Right. So it must have been really expensive. As, it's, it's not very reliable. It's really expensive and it's difficult to make. Exactly. That. I mean, exactly we're that. in absolute prime prime German engineering territory there in the Second World War. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. We really, <laughs> really are. But I should also say, uh, I should also say, Guy, actually, that that um, uh, that that uh, Dana Ben six hundred five for the one hundred nine e, which is a big one, that is is now sorted. I think, or on the cusp of being sorted, and should be flying this summer. Is that right? Fantastic. Yes, fantastic. What, yeah. Yep. Is that going to be kept in England? Well, that's a moot point. So it's owned by an Australian guy, um, and he doesn't want it in Australia. Um, so probably, but it's just whether he sells it or not. You know. Right. Okay. Want, but who knows? I mean, to... but 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 even if it's just for a, a summer or two, wouldn't that be amazing to see that I, flying? Over? I would travel wherever to hear that. Yeah. Run, to hear it running. So Craig oh Charleston is the guy who who restored that. He is the number one. Messerschmitt guy in the world he, he so of airframes he doesn't do the engines he's the airframe guy so so the problem was was they were they they were getting someone to to who who was working on that Damon Benz engine who just wasn't quite up to the job because as you were saying it's incredibly complex and it needs the guy who's absolutely top of his game to be able to, to, to work on it so they they sacked him off chucked some cash at it and got the got the top guy to, to do it so that you wasn't got the top... 50 quid was it that wasn't 50 quid <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a short break right now we're talking to guy martin and james woodruff welcome back to we have ways we're talking to guy martin and james woodruff about guy martin's battle of britain the guy was mentioning the sound there he'd travel the other side of the world just to hear it, it that's quite a little behind the scenes thing on the programme. We, we try really hard to make sure we capture the sounds of these things. And clearly it was a bouchon that we had to use in our programme, but we wanted it to sound like a Messerschmitt. So we, we dug deep to make sure we got the right sounds. And my goodness me, those Daimler sounded like hot rods. <laughs> the angry, snorting, spitting engines. And it was uh, incredible. You've got that sort of luxuriant drone of we're all familiar with the Merlin. And then in comes the German, and it's just put the shit yeah, on you on it. Just watching it. Oh, also, uh, where do you where do you where do you find those noises, James? Where do you get them from? Yeah, it's sort of. Um, it's, I feel a bit like when bands say, "Oh, we can't tell you where that sample came from." In case we get <laughs> it, wouldn't you know? Every now and again, we occasionally record the sound of a film. Okay. for example, understood. <laughs> understood. <laughs> Okay, okay. We we won't get we won't get bogged down in the weeds there. Um, why? What? I mean, I think I know the answer to this. But why Arakan? I mean, let, let you know if I were if I were going to Channel Four, I'd say it's got Spitfires in it. If I wanted to increase my chances of um something getting away, wouldn't it? A commission? I mean, I I just did the narration on that um you know uh, the Spitfire factory thing for, for that was on Channel that was on Channel Four as well. Where, you know, at Big in here with Peter Monk with his team. Restoring Spitfires and the Greek Spitfire that they did. Why a hurricane? Spitfire's been flogged to death, hasn't it? I mean, we restored that Mat One. How long ago did we restore that? What an what an honour that was. Eh? 
Yeah, I mean, we've started dug to be Spitfires the, five, dug out the six beach years ago. Dunkirk when 88, <laughs> was it 88 it was dug out of the beach, I think it was, wasn't it? That's right. The yeah, in 88. One, yeah. yeah, when we restored that Mount 1. Yeah, so it's been flogged to death, the Spitfire, John, hasn't it? So we just thought, right. Yeah, and he was sort of, in a way, it was an unsung hero. I mean, it had more kills. It had more kills than a Spitfire throughout the Second World War. It was... I think we were always keen Not to... at the Second World War, just in the Battle of Britain. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Hey. Hey. <laughs> That's why we have him. That's why we That's book why. him. Um, that, that I don't think off. we ever wanted to get involved in that hoary old na-na-na-na-na Spitfire versus Hurricane. I think we fully accepted it was a double act. You needed both. Both did very important things. But yeah, it was... Frankly, the Hurricane has always been the bridesmaid, hasn't it? Um, yeah. So let's shine a light on it and do it with pride. Yeah, yeah, and it was in like hopefully that came across in the program that it was the workhorse. I mean, it was easier to build, it was easier to bodge up and get back in the sky. You know, you could bloody bit of wattle and daub over the wings and get cracking again. You know, it was it was it was a far simpler plane than the, the very sort of cutting edge Spitfire at the time, like full monocot. You know, it was just yeah. Yeah, far simpler. It's quite something, Evo, isn't it? For thinking that those, you know, fuselage is covered in Irish linen. It always kind of slightly does my head in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can go up and prod with, it with, with your something finger. called dope, yeah. which oh, I've yeah, never yeah, quite yeah. got to the bottom of. <laughs> what well, is it's dope? cellulose. It's cellulose. It's, a, it's, it's like a it's like a paint without any um, uh, pigment in it. So you so you you paint it and it sets. It sets it hard. So obviously it's totally flammable and incredibly dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, the, just to, you know, of course. Uh, uh, um, how was it to fly the Hurricane? Uh, uh, um, you know, how did it handle what? Was, I mean, this is that's. I mean, that's a, a little like what you know. What's it like to put on the put on a pair of shoes? But but um, to describe to anybody. But how was it to fly? It was a bloody handful, right? To say I've gone through the gradual progression from. The Tiger moth to the Harvard, and then right, that's it. Sat watching the weather down at Biggin Hill. Right, getting the hurricane, you know, and how can you prepare yourself for it? It's the only two seater hurricane in existence. So to go yeah, on from, yeah. you know, what's the Tiger moth? About 45 horsepower. Oh, what's an Harvard? What's an Harvard? What? A couple of hundred? Oh, was, yeah, yeah, it's about 400. A couple of three, it's almost like that. Right, yeah. well, to go from that to go into, what, a 1500 horsepower hurricane, right? Yeah. Just, and the mass of the engine. Like it was, I was completely alien, alien to me. Yes, yes, it responded to the joystick in the way that the other planes do, but it just it was it was it was more responsive in yes in in in, in many ways, but in other ways it, it it wasn't because you had that big mass of engine up the front, right? Yeah, and it was just you had that much inertia when you put a, a an action into the joystick you had to counteract it because it was so fast and then you've got to counteract the mass of the engine the gyroscopic effect of the engine and try and overcome that to try and keep the plane in so so there's as we've, we flew from Biganil out to we weren't a million miles from the coast really was we the, the south coast and we did sort of a bit of a dogfight over there with a with a Messerschmitt and then Anna did as she, as she always had done up to that point right you have control uh, and to be honest I just made a pig's ear of it I made a pig's ear of it because I just was not used to it and she just yeah yeah, she just says I have control many times, and she kept she kept <laughs> she kept giving me enough rope to hang myself. Where because they just such it was just it was nothing like it was nothing like the the, the previous two planes that I'd been in because of the, the yeah the, the laziness in ways because you had to counteract that big massive engine in the front and all of that horsepower and all of that gyroscopic effect when it accelerated, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we were, just we were to try along, and... When Guy took control, we were in the helicopter alongside doing the air-to-air filming, and it's very apparent when Guy takes control, because all of a sudden, you know, under Anna's control, the aeroplane is straight and level and centre of our frame, 
and then all of a sudden it starts paw poising up and down and our helicopter pilot said I might just back off a little bit and yeah, I thought I can't, I can't wait best to see bet. what guy's actually doing when I examine the onboard shots later you wouldn't believe it it is like he's barely touching the thing and yet right. it has an extraordinary effect on the aircraft outside so this word inertia used is absolutely right you wouldn't believe how small the inputs are and the massive changes it, it happens outside yeah but it's the same as anything like that it's the same as anything right all right i got stuck chucks and i love it that i'm straight in at the deep end and i'm admitting i don't know what i'm doing i don't know what i'm doing right but if i was in that for a day, right? A week, a month. I'd know that thing inside out, and you, your yeah. brain would just reacclimatize to that sort of thing. You know, it's what you, it's what you, you know, the, the brain's a bloody clever thing. I mean, I'm not a clever thing, but my brain sort of gets the gist and it gets the mechanical feel and it knows what inputs to put in to get the reactions right. Like I, I was out on my bike, what this week, like my first land speed event this weekend. Uh, sorry, this Monday, this Monday just gone. And I've not ridden my bike for, what, five months? I got on that and I scared the shit out of myself, right? Because I'm just not used to that. I mean, so my brain is going to take a couple of events just to get recalibrated into what these bikes can do. And this is the same thing with those planes. Like, I'm yeah. not saying I'd have been Douglas Bader after a, after a day, and I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that my brain needed to acclimatise to that amount of power and that amount of sensitivity. But what I think is really interesting is, is, you know, you've now got this little taster of what it must have been like for those guys in 1939, 1940, leading up little, to the Battle of Britain. Yeah, yeah, but, but you've got a taster, right? But but imagine you've, you know, you've got your wings, you're feeling sort of, you know, pretty pleased with yourself, and then you go off to your operation training unit and you go into a, you know, you're suddenly training on a Spitfire or a Hurricane for the first time. I mean, you were up in a two-seater. Those guys, it was it was the leap of faith, wasn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. suddenly it's like, yeah. okay, so this is a cockpit drill. Here's the pilot's notes. This is a cockpit drill. So what you want to do is this, and oh, don't forget to kind of you know remember you've got to switch hands with your to do the undercarriage you know you've got to go from the throttle to the control stick and that i know that doesn't seem very sensible but that's what you've got to do don't forget to do that and so suddenly you're kind of like okay i'm 19 um i've got i know 150 hours in my logbook but but i've never driven anything like that flown anything like this before and you're right it's that thing is it's that transition from going from a harvard with its 400 horsepower or whatever to a to a merlin engine uh, and, you know, everyone you, you read about or when you talk to these old boys who've, who've flown these things, they sort of go, you know, so I'm, I was feeling a bit in, intimidated and I, I gunned the throttle. Suddenly, you know, this thing was in control and I was in no control whatsoever. And somehow we managed to take off. And I looked back and the airfield was a dot. And I just thought, holy moly, how on earth have I done this? I mean, but you're, you're, I mean that must now completely chime with your experience. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If If, if it was possible to have any more respect for them boys yeah then i have it just blew my mind it blew my mind and i was sort of when we when we landed as amazing as it was i was bloody pissed off at myself because i didn't do anna justice because she'd been brilliant with me i just yeah i just yeah sort of disappointed in myself you just let i let myself down i let myself down i let you boys down because you thought i was gonna do it. and i just yeah i made a pig's ear it was i made a pig's ear but yeah I, i've walked away just thinking my god yeah yeah massive even more respect than i had before for those boys and what the yeah what they went through. It's probably worth just... Obviously, Guy's always very hard on himself, the, the eternal racer that always thinks he could have gone a tenth of a second quicker. But it would be fair to say, Guy, that the first element where you are being chased by a Messerschmitt is effing hard. Mm -hmm. When you are chasing them to try and get them in your sights, that is uh, significantly easier. It is. It's still handful. It's still an handful, but yeah, it's still a bloody handful, man. Yeah, 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 and you've got this priceless sat in this priceless 
explain and it's yeah 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 it's like yeah 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 i'm not just messing because i'm not being sh yeah i won't be in shot i won't be in shot but what an amazing experience boys what an amazing experience you know yeah I'm still, still now, all of the stuff we do, you just think, you lucky bastard, you lucky bastard. Yeah. <laughs> I get some right opportunities, boy. I get some right opportunities. So yeah, yeah, don't worry, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah be any more great. Well, I thought, I thought it, it was, it was very, very compelling, Telly, and I thought you really, I thought it really did in a way that I haven't seen any more, you know, any contemporary program really achieve. I, I thought it really gave us, it gave a flavour, an important key flavour of what it was like in that whole training process. And also, obviously, you know, it's not just you training. It's, there's lots of archive and, you know, bits in between explaining what's going on and stuff. It's a, it, it's a uh, hats off to you both because it's a, they're, it's a fantastic little series. It really is good. That's down to you, big man. And we've got a pint in the pub and all. Because that was another interesting thing that we learned, that it was very much encouraged for the to, to, to have the time off, for relaxing and going getting on the roof, yep. wasn't it? Going, getting, getting <laughs> yeah, yeah. the wheels fall off, just to relax, because the Germans weren't. The Germans was at it, like, 24-7. That was it. That was yeah. it all the time. And then they had our bombers bombing their air bases just to keep them. So, yeah, yeah, they weren't fresh. But the British boys, all the RAF, was encouraged to take the time off. To have a weekend off every other, it was yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I'm not much of a drinker, not like you, but not like I'm not much of a drinker. But we, we did manage to <laughs> sample it a bit, didn't we? We did, yeah, in the old, in the cheap, old MG, it's, didn't it's we? It's a cheap date. We got three quarters away through a pint, and the scene was over because he was, he died from the strain. <laughs> on his roof, <laughs> on his roof, mate. Yeah. Yeah, but it was great, great bloody experience, boy. Great bloody experience. So yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, you did, we did it justice. We us. I think it's always nice to get into those bits like the Battle of Britain bunker, which we've all seen. But yeah. guys, never afraid of a layman's term. And I felt like he actually, I got the gist of what all that mind-boggling array of tote board and numbers actually meant. So <laughs> it's away from the flying. I think we kept we kept learning what was supporting the pilots in the sky. Yeah. Um, and yeah. It's, yes, because. Because although, although their story is amazing, it's the entire integrated thing that's the reason they're able to do what they could do. Um, that that without the without the fighter control, without the observer corps, without the RDF, without the entire integrated system, you know, everything they were capable of would have, would have been squandered. It's the it's the or, or not being able. You couldn't have brought it to bear. Is the thing, um, which I think is really. I think that you know we've, we've been obviously it is about the few. But but the few are they're sat on top of the rocket if you see what I mean they're like they're like the three guys who go to the moon that's built by the rocket that's built by a hundred thousand people mm -hmm. it, it, it's that sense isn't it yeah and then then um, reading Churchill's notes um, while we was making it really he was there you know no to worry about boys bring it on bring it yeah. on yeah, you know, yeah you've yeah. got you've got our air force to get past you've got our navy to get past well we've got no to worry about bring it on boys you know and that's yeah, the yeah. sort of that, that wasn't impression wasn't given to the masses was it which was yeah yeah, yeah which we yeah yeah that was a bit of a daylight moment and i guess it's uh reading it's his notes much, it's very much a, yeah it's very much a sub holland train of thought that just, <laughs> just bear in mind that the latest academic research now that all the top secret files have been opened does reveal that Churchill was actually feeling a little bit more confident than uh, than the sort of the traditional narrative of tiny old England on mm. its last legs. How are we going to yeah. defend them? That's not necessarily the case. We had a we had an enormous amount of resource ready to deploy. Yeah, yeah, yeah that is certainly true. One thing, I did, one last thing, I'd just love to ask you, Vogue guy, is um, is generally about sort of you know wartime engineering. I mean, you, you know your way around an engine, but but when you think back and you think. 
you know, obviously you're pretty impressed with the Daimler Benz and also the Merlin. But do you, I mean, are you pretty staggered by the level of engineering excellence that there was in the Second World War? Yeah, well, nothing drove. I mean, that's what it's different now, isn't it? But nothing drove reciprocating internal combustion engines forward like the war. Just look at the advances that. You know, we, we look at where we started the war and look where we finished the war. Look at what the Griffin was at the end of the, mm. the Second mm. World War. You know, where did we start? Like, like sub a thousand horsepower. We ended the war at over 3,000 horsepower. And look at what the Germans were doing. Look at the. And just, and really, yes, all right, that number was great to have, right? That horsepower number, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. But really, it wasn't about that. It was about the need to fly higher. That's all right. It's all right. We've got more. Yeah, we've got 3,000 horsepower. At, at sea level, yes, but the idea is that we can still get the air in that motor when we can fly high. So that was the that was sort of the main goal. And then we ended up with like, pressurised cabins and that at the end. It was, you know, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So are we ever going to see that again? I know you look at all forms of motorsport now, so restricted, so control because if they had you know if if, if we was you know if if they said drop the flag right do what you want you know we definitely wouldn't have reciprocating internal combustion engines i don't know what we'd have we'd have nuclear reactors or something but now the, you know <laughs> you know as, as then you know that's what i just you know because that's what they've got to do because the technology is there and that's what would happen to win because winning's so important that's what you've got to do but look what like then like we didn't have yeah yeah, but then, then, oh bloody hell, man! We, then we could talk about. Oh, I've told, did you listen to that podcast? Yeah, I did. Yeah. About the about the bloody Jesus Christ, man! About the bloody, um, go on, not Oppenheimer. Uh, who did the, who did, it was a BBC yeah. podcast about the bomb, about the yeah. bomb and the atomic bomb. Blew my mind. It blew my bloody mm. mind. About the, yeah. how early it would be like sort of pre Second World War. That they 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 had they knew how to split the atom. They knew it could be. It was possible. And then and then bloody. Um, Einstein, he sort of dismissed it, dismissed it. and that our, when it was amazing that our, that our main man in Oxford dismissed it. Oh, that's never going to be possible. So he ended up taking the technology to America, and that's where it got. It just blew my mind. Yeah. So yeah, really, really, yeah, yeah. Now it would all be nuclear, wouldn't it? My God, it just blows my mind. All of that, all of that stuff, and like, what are we doing? What are we doing now? Renewable bullshit and bollocks. I'm all for it. I've got a bloody electric car, and that's what we're here doing. We're doing an electric program now, right? But it's all bullshit and bollocks, right? It's, it's the nuclear is nuclear is the future. Yes, it is electric because we're going to use a new nuclear to heat the water to create the steam to turn <laughs> to, to, to create the electric. To, yes, yes, yeah. But nuclear is the future because it's the future. We're talking green. It's the future. I don't want to I could I could raffle on, raffle on about this until the cows come home. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Technology, nothing drove internal combustion, reciprocating internal combustion like the Second World War, nothing. The advances we saw from the start to the finish of the Second World War, we will never see that again. We will never see again. Oh, well, that's been fascinating. Well, Guy, thank thank you so much, James. Thanks very much for your time. Um, uh, We've both seen the show. We absolutely love it. We'll recommend it to all our listeners. Um, and uh, we look forward to seeing you doing the Dan Busters Raid or whatever you're going to do next, Guy. <laughs> Give me a finger at me, bloody ass. <laughs> you should say that. <laughs> uh, thanks, chaps. It was a great pleasure. Yeah. We, are, uh, we are listeners and um, it'll, it sneaks on into the transit van on various long journeys we do. So, yeah, keep up the good work and thank you for allowing the swearing. Oh, wow, that's well, yeah, thing. we don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> you can thanks, everybody, for listening. Sound See you all job. again soon. Cheerio. Goodbye. Cheers, boss. Thank you very much.